In today's episode, we'll talk with Kendra DiColo and Tyler Mills, co-authors of Low Budget Movie from Diode Editions. Welcome to Episode 7 of The Chapbook. I'm your host, Noah Stetzer. And I'm Ross White. Noah and I are directors and editors at Bull City Press, which publishes chapbooks and occasionally full-length books of poetry, (laughs) fiction, and nonfiction. We started this podcast to talk about our love of chapbooks, to demystify the publishing process, and share chapbook news and happenings. And we are super pumped today because not only do we have one amazing guest, we have two amazing guests. Not one, but two. How did we get so lucky? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) The virtual room is so full. Let's introduce these amazing poets right now. Kendra DiColo is the author of three books, including I Am Not Trying to Hide My Hungers from the World from BOA Editions this year. She's a recipient of a 2019 Poetry Fellowship from the National Endowment for the Arts and has received a number of awards and fellowships. Her poems and essays have appeared in American Poetry Review, Tin House Magazine, Waxwing, and elsewhere. She teaches at Hugo House, and she lives in Nashville, Tennessee. Tyler Mills' latest poetry book is Hawk Parable, winner of the Akron Poetry Prize and out from the University of Akron Press in 2019, along with two other collections. A poet and essayist, her poems have appeared in The New Yorker, The Guardian, The New Republic, and elsewhere. She teaches for Sarah Lawrence College's Writing Institute and the Provincetown Fine Arts Work Center's 24 Pearl Street. She edits the account and lives in Brooklyn. Kendra and Tyler, hello. Welcome. Hi. Hi. (laughs) Thanks for having us. Oh, absolutely. You know, when we first started talking about chapbooks, At the beginning of this podcast series, one of the things we liked was the idea of chapbooks permitting a certain amount of projects that may not typically fit in the same shape as a full-length book. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're very excited to have co-authors with a co-authored project come on to the podcast to talk a little bit about that kind of work. And so we'd love to maybe hear a little bit about um, Low Budget Movie, maybe give our listeners a quick intro and kind of give us a background about how this project came about. Awesome. Well, just for thank you. This is Kendra speaking. I feel like Tyler and I might have similar voices because we've been collaborating for so long. We've just merged (laughs) into a single identity. (laughs) Our poet sisters. Talking about the origin of this book is one of my favorite things because I have such a clear memory of when... The idea was first conceived. Tyler and I were together for the first time. I think it had been years since we'd seen each other. And just, you know, every time we see each other, it's like picking up where we left off. And we were just like, we so clearly need to write together. I think both of us had just finished or we had just published our first books and we were looking for a new project, something low stakes, something playful. And so it just became this idea of a way of staying in touch, but it's also getting in touch with our creativity in a way that felt freeing rather than you have to produce something. I remember I was about to move to New Mexico too. And for me, it felt like a way to keep in touch with you, even though I knew I'd be pretty far and that visits might be like few and far between. Um, And this project really meant a lot to me at that time when I was in a new place and getting to know the landscape. Totally. I actually, I don't think I have put that into the narrative because, but now that I think about it, we were both at the beginning of these huge life changes. I was like, you know, six weeks pregnant, I think at that time. And I, so I didn't even, I was so early. I didn't even tell you 
Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> you refuse yeah, the oyster. I refuse the oysters. <laughs> I was like, hmm. But it makes so much sense that we were about to have these huge identity shifts and that we were looking for something to keep us tethered, but also so freeing to not stay stuck in our own voices, to have this permission to kind of leave what we had been writing behind, but not in a way that we were responsible for finding that next thing to write about. I, I think a lot about collaborative writing like basketball where like you're in a situation where you don't know you're, you're blocked in, you're being guarded on all sides. You don't have a good shot. So you just like pass the ball to your man who has a good look. And I feel like that's what collaborative writing is. Like Tyler and I just get to like pass off the ball to each other, to whoever has the best look at the time. The playfulness really comes through in the way that the poems unfold on the page. In a note at the back of the book, you talked a little bit about how over the course of the collaboration, the sort of the notion or maybe the, the lines of individual authorship began to blur a little bit for you. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about how that happened and when you realized you had gone from writing in conversation to writing in collaboration. I can speak to one of the poems in the book that started with my experience and then really became kind of a collaborative voice. Maybe that could be a way into this. So in the poem, What to Wear to Report Your Stalker to HR started with an experience that I actually had. And I had been having a really hard time writing about it. It was something that was frightening to me. And I just couldn't find a way in because being stalked makes you feel almost like talking about it is like participating in that horrible dynamic with the other person, that non-consensual like relationship, like somehow I I felt like writing about it was really hard for me. So starting that poem and then kind of kicking the ball or passing the ball (sighs) to Kendra made me feel like I could write about it in a more universal way and kind of like just speak to larger themes. And so, yeah, for me, kind of that poem was where that happened. Absolutely. I mean, and so it is so universal so that we were writing about, or the starting point was with your experience, but it's, you know, something I've had my own I mean, not exactly that experience, but it's not, it wasn't something that was out of nowhere. I mean, I I have a connection to that. And so I was able to bring in things that felt like it could really cohere. Or, I mean, it just makes me think of the way that we uh, make connections together is really interesting because the leaps that we make when we're writing by ourselves, we can kind of anticipate, but you can't anticipate the leap that your, that your collaborative writing partner is going to make. And how that just opens up so many possibilities. And so I think I just, I grew as so much as a writer from writing with you. I feel that way too, Kendra. Absolutely. Like there's a point in that poem where I think I remember that you brought in, like my friend never reported her murder. Yes. That's how it works. And for me, that's where the poem just like picks up this whole new level of energy. And I never would have been able to do that. Um, And I, so the poem in that moment really became this like the singular voice, but also truly collaborative, I feel. And I felt grateful to have a vessel for that because I similarly, I'd been trying to write about my friend who had been murdered by her husband for a long time. And I I have, I do have a poem about it, but not, I I wasn't able to go as deeply as I could. And so this, I felt like was a, yeah, it felt safe. Maybe part of it is being kind of guarded by our merged persona. I don't know if that's, you know, something yeah. that helps but knowing that I mean now we're, we're kind of claiming our lines so it is right. <laughs> at the time just knowing like we don't have to stand behind these lines I can you know I can blame you if it's a <laughs> but yeah the idea of like this single persona I, and I do think there was a moment where I and I don't know if this is a good thing but where I was writing lines that i to either make you laugh or like thinking that this is a line like that Tyler would write 
But even though the way that I write a Tyler line is like nothing like the way that you would write, but I think that became just like we were, yeah, we were writing for each other. We were. And I think that's kind of part of how the persona kind of coalesced. Sometimes I remember thinking, oh, I can't wait to see what she'll do with this. Or I almost felt like I wrote you into a corner. I'm like, hmm, try getting out of this one, Kendra. Right, totally. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's the best. (laughs) I think so too. Well, you definitely made me laugh in the women in line poem, which I know we were talking about a little while ago where I cracked up during the time. See, I thought that was your line. I thought that it was. (laughs) We don't even remember now. This idea, though, of approaching the poem as a gift that you're giving to a fellow writer is so joyful. And yet I'm really struck by the fact that at times this book feels outright rage. Mm. And I'm struck by how seamlessly the emotional tenor of each individual poem seems to have been matched you know, word for word or line for line by that collaborative process that you are both so deeply invested in the emotional stakes of the poem. Because regardless of how wide your empathy is, that's a hard thing to do as a writer to meet somebody else's experience with the same emotional tenor. Yeah. I I mean, that's so interesting to think that, right, it was joyful making it, but we were writing about really painful things a lot of the times. I mean, I think part of it, like Tyler and I both have really dark (laughs) senses of humor. And so we'll, you know, we talk on the phone a lot and we'll tell each other, like, can you believe this bullshit just happened? You're like, yeah, I can't believe it because that happened to me too. (laughs) Like, I think that's so much of our connect. We we connected. I I won't say the name of the, (laughs) the place, but we connected in a writing community that didn't always feel the most supportive. And so it was kind of like we gravitated towards each other and we're like, do you see like this bullshit happening? Like, and I feel like that connection, um, there's, there's just so much trust and there's so much, um, it is empathy. Cause like, we're not the same person, but I feel, I feel like we do have a lot of, of shared experiences and just, um, having, you know, we're, we're poet friends, but we're also real friends. And so there's that added dimension to it. <laughs> Absolutely. It's really exciting to be a part of this conversation and to see sort of live and in person the kind of collaboration and partnership you guys exhibit on the page. Like it's really exciting for me and I I think the listeners as well. And it seems to me bigger than the number of pages we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Like this seems like a significant project and certainly doesn't seem like one that you guys are ready to walk away from, meaning the collaboration. So how did these poems end up in this chapbook and why was it a chapbook? Like, was that always the idea or was that something that happened over the course of the project where there's a greater number of poems that were whittled down to this particular manuscript? I remember... We were talking a lot about low budget films and just how much money to a poet a low budget film seems to cost. Like, and so we have a poem in here called Poem with a Million Dollar Budget. And to us, that just seemed preposterous. But then as we thought about like what it would take to stage and film something, that amount of money is so small. So I think we were kind of playing with that idea as a theme and thinking about writing about film and, you know, the male gaze and just feminism. And, and we're also writing this during the Trump administration too. And so there's just a lot to take on. But yeah, I mean, I think there's so much more to say. We've definitely talked about collaborating with essays and other poems. But to me, this felt like a low budget movie, like a a small (laughs) morsel. Yes. Yeah, I love that. I hadn't really thought about that before. But right, we had the kind of the framework set, like we knew that, right, we wanted to kind of keep it manageable in that way. 
I've always said that the joy of the chapbook is that it leaves the reader desperate to hear more of the author's voice. Yeah. And this one has left us desperate to hear more of that collaborative voice for sure. So please don't let this be the only project. <laughs> I wonder, could we lure you into reading from the book for our listeners so they can hear that collaborative voice? Absolutely. I'm going to read a poem called Why We Broke Up. And this um, feels very much like a poem where we were trying to make, make each other laugh. And where, you know, it was, there was a particular frame that was set for it, but we each had brought our own experiences that weren't too um, far off. <laughs> Why we broke up. Not because he played in a metal band called Three Day Old Jizz, and I hauled his silver drum kit across state lines to clubs where women with bleached hair and leather vests passed out across the wet magnolia leaf tiles in a puddle of spilled schlitz. And I still had to pay the cover to sit through opening acts like gerbil gymnasium or scissor fight. Everyone has a quota. I paid for studio time with $20 bills, our grocery bags crammed with Doritos. He swallowed, hardly chewed during his sartorial highs while reading the fine print off an eBay Led Zeppelin record jacket to me slowly like a poem. Music, music means more than this room, babe. I knew, I paid for it. And we'd cross the Delaware water gap twice, there and back in my blue car. And listening to Robert Plant wail, if it keeps on raining, the levee's gonna break. Unbusted Honda speakers was the closest I came to the ovum shatter and taffied pull of orgasm. Imagining his unwashed leather pants glossed to his body like spilled kerosene. Smelling like wet Marlboros and cow dung hallucinogens spread on peanut butter toast. The way desire has its own ferment. Stinging the back of my throat, carrying the scent of every woman whose skin he sank into before throwing his shadow across our hotel room, humming like a man who doesn't know what lurks inside his body, a bad engine, rattling in its pickup while the driver sings, don't it make you feel bad when you're trying to find your way home? I'll read what to, where to report your stalker to HR. Wear your most earnest look. Wear a watch. Wear a shirt that says, I did not ask for this. If you wear a skirt with diamond stripes up the seam, the receptionist will say, you look cute. Does this mean you look stockable? Does this mean if the phone rings and it's him, your voice will erupt into a murder of crows that cloud the halls so fluorescent lit corners push him away with glossy wings? My friend never reported her murder. That's how it works. She left her husband weeping in their tin-roofed shack, the coils of a stovetop counterfeiting a smolder. Her nails were red that day. She left him under the tin roof that some would want to say was punctuated with stars, the metal I mean, not her body, how it buckled under heavy rain. He wept, and then when he wasn't weeping, he was a cloud. Do not think of her body when you grind the pen, scratching the letters of your stalker's name in thin blue ink. Think, that's how it works. You see him, write him in the spangled cells of your neurons, and the cops read your face and see you as him. Keep a diary of his movements, one said, and you thought this. Sunflower fields, the tangle of metal rusting in the scrapyard, horses gathering slowly in the distance like a cluster of silver clouds. Wear a whistle, wear a lie-proof coat, wear the wind. The police chief counted my deaths, first red roses rotting on my windshield, next the window of my bedroom framing me in a pilled sky-blue bra, then my house. Break would be next, he said with a catch in his breath, like a mothy bouquet. As a child, you waited for the wolf to turn belly up, expose the jangled teeth, a mouth of burnt opals, 
This probably happens to you all the time, the cop smiles. Unlatch your jaw, let the stones fall to his feet. The head of HR finally speaks, looking me up and down, first my toes mashed into my boots, his eyes dragging doubt up my legs, then my high neck sweater, my mouth, my eyes. Like a bat adjusting its wings, he shuffles my list of incidents. Just look at this evidence. Who is to say you aren't stalking him? Thank you so much for sharing your poems. They are amazing. And it's it's great to hear you guys read. It's, it's like one of my favorite things is to hear someone read their work. This brings me to, to ask the question, if you have chapbooks that you recommend, if there is a particular chapbook that stands out as one that you would suggest our readers pick up or that is a personal favorite of yours. Well, I'm really excited about Junius Ward's Sing Me a Lesser Wound, produced by Inch, and I love his poems. And so I'm just really excited that this is a chapbook. And- we are too. <laughs> and we thank you. We love it when people come and shill for our books on the show. It's so not required, but it's really? always pleasant. I'm also really excited about uh, Slash, Slash, Slash. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So good. By Diode, by Amora Clay and um, Todd Kaneko. And I feel like our book also is in conversation with their book only from like opposite end. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I just got it in the mail. I'm so excited. And uh, I, I'm assuming you mean specifically poetry chapbooks, right? Not really. If there's a prose chapbook that you love, I think our listeners want to hear about that. You know, even I got really, there was a period um, where I wasn't writing for a while after my daughter was born and I got really into comics, like feminist motherhood comics. So I have like this amazing kind of comic zine collection. So Eleanor Davis has this book called Libby's Dad. It's all like colored pencil drawings. So I, th- I think she's amazing. And you can, it's just, it's great to read this in context with her other work. Um, but then, you know, I love the chapbooks that Yes Yes puts out. So I have Keith Leonard, Still the Shore, I really love. Um, and I have this, um, one of my first uh, entry points into Paul Guest's work was a chapbook. And so we had exit interview off of New Michigan Press. I just named all all male identifying folk, um, but <laughs> there, yeah. I just I have I love collecting them. I, I mean, I just I think they're just so beautiful. Thank you all for joining us. And before you go, can you tell folks how to find you online and how to find the book? Yeah, you can find me at kendradicolo.com or follow me on Twitter at kendradicolo. And then you know, if you want to support Indies Bookstore. I think it's called book, bookshop.org. Is that the name of it? And then my local bookshop is The Bookshop. They're a really amazing store. So those are two places I'd recommend. You can find me at tylermills.com or on Twitter at tylermpoetry. And Books Are Magic is my local store. I love them. Diode is the, uh, where you could order our chapbook directly through their website. And you can find them online at diodeditions.com. That's terrific. Thank you guys so much. Listeners, if you like our podcast, why not go ahead and click subscribe? Or better yet, tell a friend. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and all other major pod places. Every review matters for a new podcast like ours. So if you have a moment, let us know what you think. You can find out about what we and our friends at Bull City Press are up to by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Bull City Press or visiting BullCityPress.com. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at DC Noah. And you can find me at Ross White. You can also email us at chapbook at bullcitypress.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. 